0: Coming up in this episode, we've got four fabulous audiobook narrators, bringing you a selection of festive holiday stories.
1: Welcome to episode 276 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Jeff Adams, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knauss. Ho, ho, ho,
0: rainbow romance readers. Welcome back. We want to wish you the happiest of holidays and Merry Christmas to those who are celebrating this week. We hope that however you are spending your day, that you are having
1: a good one and a safe one. We've already decided that our day is going to kick off watching Wonder Woman 1984, because what better way to spend Christmas morning than with a fabulous superhero.
0: But if superheroes aren't your thing, we've got another podcast that you might want to try.
1: Absolutely. We wanted to tell you about our friends over at the Heaving Bosoms podcast. Now, this is a Romance Readers podcast where the two best friends, Aaron, who lives way up in Alaska, and Melody, who's on the other side of the country in New Jersey, gush, giggle, snark, and boy, do they snark, folks. You will love it, and snort their way through a different romance novel each week. You're going to love listening to Aaron and Melody do a deep breakdown of every romance trope and subgenre they can. We're talking ballrooms, crime bosses, gay, straight, aliens, and yes, even Bigfoot doctor lawyers, because that is a thing. The best part is you don't have to read every book they recap because they tell you the story scene by scene while adding their own comedic flair. Now, while they unabashedly love the romance genre, they don't take themselves too seriously either. The recaps come with a heaping dose of open-hearted feminism, unconditional friendship, and hilarious tangents. From Tessa Dare to Alyssa Cole to Sarah J. Moss, Aaron and Mel are tackling every kind of smooching book they can find, doing their best to demonstrate the depth and diversity of the genre. Love is for everyone, Even Blue Aliens. Now this week, for December 21st, they are recapping Mangoes and Mistletoe by Adriana Herrera. I adored this book last year when it came out. It has a brand new audiobook that's out too, so it's a great time to pick that up. I can't wait to hear what Aaron and Melody have to say about this book. Now just one advisory, you don't want to listen to this show around the kids. Because like the very best romance novels, these two can get a little bit, you know, explicit. You can find Heaving Bosoms on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on the podcatcher of your choice. We hope you will add them to your podcast lineup. And one more thing we want to remind you about as the gift-giving season wraps up, Libro.fm still has amazing gift packages available perfect for any of your last-minute shopping needs. You can get these gifts for your friends, your family or even for yourself. As we mentioned, we got one so that we have audiobooks into 2021. Now, besides a great gift that these are, these purchases also help benefit a local bookstore of your choice. And it's worth noting that a couple of the stories that you're going to hear in Holiday Storytime coming up are available from libro.fm and you'll find all that information in the show notes. If you want to get the details and make a purchase, all you have to do is go to biggayfictionpodcast.com/audiogift. So let's get into some holiday story time. I was so excited when these four narrators said yes to the idea of doing a live presentation to read some holiday stories. We had Sean Crisden, Kurt Graves, Nick J. Russo, and Joel Leslie join me and they each read from a holiday story. It was really wonderful. We hope you all enjoy this, whether it's your first time hearing it or if you're revisiting it because you joined us from the live audience. Before we get down to the stories and make you guys work, (laughs) I wanted to ask you each, what is your favorite part or parts of the holiday season specifically? And uh, Kurt, we'll start off with you on that.
2: Oh, God. Okay, so Jeff, I know you and Will won't be happy with this. Joel, I know you won't be happy with this. But I am not a Christmas gay. So for me... My favorite part of Christmas is going to the movies. Hmm. So I like, I like, I I go see my family. I get a solid two to three hours with other human beings. And then I like to go sit in a dark room and eat popcorn where nobody talks to me. That's my favorite Jewish. I, (laughs) I am emotionally Jewish. I was raised Catholic, oddly enough.
1: I have no issue with Christmas day movies.
2: Okay, good. Yeah. I mean, they're not Christmas movies. Well, no. I
1: mean, I just heard today that, you know, Wonder Woman is going to be on HBO Max for Christmas Day and I'm there cuz I'm not going mm-hmm. to the movies, <laughs> but
2: I'm yep. right there with you. <laughs> at and uh, Soul on Disney Plus. We've got a we've got a lineup for at home this year.
1: There you go. Sean, how about you?
3: Hmm. Well, I, I think it's twofold for me first i'm a sucker for classic christmas music so any of the classic holiday tunes pretty much anything before hmm, maybe 2004 2005 but pretty much anything from the 60s 70s and 80s oh that's that's christmas for me and you know i Look at it as the whole holiday season, so all of the Hanukkah songs. I don't know if there are many Kwanzaa songs. Any Festivus tunes that uh, anyone would hear. And the second thing, which which people that know me probably know, it's it's the food. I, I eat until I get sick at, a re- at regular intervals. So, <sighs> tis the reason for the season. I'm right there with you on
1: both of them. We've already been eating mince pies because they're available at the Ooh. world market and i've had hallmark channel radio on quite often already so
3: <laughs> well it, is anyone on the east
4: coast i am
3: anyone yeah so nick do you know because I'm, I'm a former philly boy do you know spiced wafers from just really philly new york delaware is about where they're out of philadelphia
4: i don't think that reaches ohio no not oh,
3: no they probably don't ah oh, cookie sick is a real thing for me so <laughs> <laughs> spiced wafer it's like a ginger snap on crack so Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's my jam.
1: Please send them to all of us.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Duly noted.
5: Joel, how about you? So from this ages me if people use Google effectively, but I was a kid right at the time Hallmark started producing ornaments. And back then, back then they were these beautifully handcrafted, limited edition, not punched out by a computer, computer painted, you know, they're much more, they're not what they were now. But, but my mom collected them and has collected them every single year I've been alive and now because my mother wants to have like a Martha Stewart Christmas tree and it's all like white and pretty and god forbid there be any color on it right so now i've inherited all these ornaments so for me like and it's weird cuz like everyone has like a specific memory because i re- relate them to every single year you know so for some reason like decorating the tree with those ornaments is like when christmas starts for me so that's that's my little thing like and we have four trees now. We have four Christmas trees. It's four it's a strange trees. it's a strange thing. Okay,
1: in yep. some, you know, post-pandemic, I want to come visit you for Christmas and see all this decoration.
5: You are allowed to.
1: Cuz that sounds awesome.
5: <laughs> then you can also see the Disney Christmas ornaments which are really cool.
4: Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Want well, to see those too. And Nick, well, I mean all the answers definitely I would agree with. Well, I love going to the movies. I love the food. But I would say the general energy of this time of year is really my favorite part. You don't really get it any other time of year. As soon as Thanksgiving kicks off, the winter has just got just a buzz to it, a vibe that I just really enjoy that kind of goes away after New Year's and you just kind of feel it and enjoy it. So
1: it is definitely a nice vibe. Everything gets a little bit better in the holiday season, typically.
4: Very joyous. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So let's get down to some reads. We're going to kick off with Sean. Tell Uh us what you've selected for this holiday story time.
3: Well, my particular selection, it is American Christmas by Adriana Herrera, which I know listeners of your show, I think you had her on recently, didn't you? We
1: flashed back to her interview with us. She was one of our listener favorites that was coming up on our anniversary. Mm-hmm. So we we put that episode specifically when American Christmas came out because it was a nice time yeah. to revisit the Dreamer series as it wrapped up.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it's, it's a great series. And and this I selected this one because it's appropriately holiday themed. And just this scene that I chose, it happens very early early in the book. So if anyone isn't familiar with the series, it's American Dreamer, American fairy Tale, American Love Story, American Sweethearts, and the finale, American Christmas. They're all wonderful stories of the ideas of family and unity and immigrants, particularly Latinx immigrants in America and working into this melting pot that, that makes America what it is. And it's beautifully written, wonderful characters, wonderful tales. She she really outdid herself. They're, they're some of my favorite books. It's one of my favorite series that I've narrated. And in this particular excerpt from the, the last book, two of the characters in the book, we have Ari and Yen, who Ari is a Congolese immigrant and Yen is a Thai immigrant, who have just moved in together and they're they're about to celebrate their first Christmas. And they've overcome a tremendous number of obstacles and events in their lives that have helped to bring them together, and they're part of this circle of friends that have grown and become found family in in the entire series so I, I chose this scene because the way it's written and the, the way it's it's portrayed is that one it evokes a fine feeling of the magic of Christmas and with Christmas coming and what that. Uh, entailed for a lot of us when we were young, and somewhat as we, as we're older, even still, I still get giddy, and it also captures the 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 delicacy of their relationship. and in this particular scene they're they're sort of playing in terms of who who got who the better who got whom I believe uh, the better gift and um Trying to tease each other with what will happen on the fabled day of present revelation. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course, you know the holidays are about much more than just giving and getting gifts, right? right. Well, yeah, it's a big part of it. Sure, though. we like. More- <laughs> yeah, I'll- you don't like tearing wrapping paper off everything? Come on. I will pick up from there. I think we kind of set it up, and we will begin an excerpt from. American Christmas by Adrian Herrera. <laughs> we were quite the contrast. Me, tall and solid with deep brown skin, while he was slighter with skin that could be a glowing bronze or pale. Yin constantly forged forward, his enthusiasm always overshadowing his doubts. Meanwhile, I weighed out every option, considered every outcome. He pushed in and I pulled back, but we made sense together. According to Yin, he'd become aware of the fact he'd become aware of that fact the moment we met. It took me about another year to see things his way, but we got here. I see there's no dispute about my gift-giving prowess, he boasted as he ran both hands along my flanks, his nails grazing the skin, making me shiver. I let him touch and explore, biting off curses as he lapped at a nipple or rocked into me so that he was rubbing against me. I was painfully aroused, but I knew Yin would give me what I needed soon enough, And I was in the mood to play. I don't know, baby. I think I might surprise you. He scrunched his nose adorably as he undulated on top of me, so that the friction slowly drove me out of my mind. I don't think you're prepared for the gift I have. That last part I said with a groan, trying hard not to lose it. Oh, I'm always ready for it. I was too close to the edge for double entendres and coherent answers and just sank into the feeling. He redoubled his efforts and soon the pressure had made me losing my mind. He didn't seem to mind my lack of response and slid down my body to take me in his mouth. You're so good at that, baby, I hissed as he took me in, hands and mouth working me until I was nothing but a babbling mess. By the time my brain was functioning again, Yin had grabbed the wet wipe from the bedside and cleaned us up. Without saying a word, he got back in bed and put his head on my chest. That was very nice. I'm requesting we begin every Christmas Eve like this. Coffee, tea, and making love. I suggested with a grin, turning my head to look at him. His hair was a mess and his cheeks were still flushed from his efforts. And I wanted to keep him like this forever. When he looked up, his grin matched mine. I'm completely in support of that plan. After a couple of beats, he started squirming like his butt was on fire, and I braced for what I knew was coming. So, you're really not going to give me a hint? I couldn't help the laugh that rumbled in my chest. Ian, you were the one who came up with the rule that we couldn't give any clues about what we were getting each other for Christmas, even though you hate surprises. That reminder got me an adorable pout, which I had to kiss him for. And then you made it into a competition. He opened his mouth to protest, but I leaned in and kissed him again, sliding my tongue with his until I knew he was properly distracted, then pulled back. You have to be patient. There was a huff and then a familiar grin. Fine, but you were supposed to buckle under my charms and tell me... I squeezed him tight as I bit back a smile at his very serious tone. You'll find out tomorrow. I have to get ready. I gestured to the small bathroom before grabbing a clean towel. I told Nesto I'd help out with the catering orders. That was a cover, of course. I was actually going to meet up with Carmen, who had part of my present for Yin. Carmen was a good friend of Nesto's. Nesto was more than an employer, actually. He was family. Carmen, too. And they'd both been assisting me with a gift that would blow my man away. I had tricks up my sleeve, too. I thought you said you were off today. I could practically see Yin's antenna pinging, but unlike my boyfriend, I had a pretty good poker face. He's short on some staff and wanted to be done in time to get to Doris's house early to help her set up. Yin narrowed his eyes like he could tell I was fibbing. You still want to go tonight? I asked, hoping to distract him. I knew mentioning dinner at Nesto's mother's house would mollify him. He nodded cautiously, still not looking too convinced. Yes. Maya is making rolls and la at I groaned at the mention of his sister's delicious tea leaf salad, then panicked, wondering if I'd forgotten to get part of our contribution to the dinner. Yin smiled and shook his head as he signaled to the little kitchen. We got some wine, and I got a cake from Filman's. As always, my man was on top of all social engagements. You are the best. I did get something for the white apes. still not sure what it is? He snorted at my puzzlement over the weird title for a gift exchange event. You're really worried about that, he said happily, and brought me down for a kiss after I crawled back in bed. Within seconds, we were tangled in each other again, until the alarm on my iPhone went off telling me I needed to meet with Carmen in an hour. I have to go, baby, I said regretfully, and pulled back, eliciting an unhappy moan which almost managed to convince me to forget my plans and stay in bed but i had to get moving the last and most important part of the gift that i'd been planning for weeks was with carmen and i'd be damned if i didn't make sure that yin's christmas morning went perfectly the end of that snippet and it's just i all i enjoyed that when i read it and when i narrated it again because it it, it felt so much like a genuine loving relationship and it's it's their first one together for Christmas, and they're sharing this little apartment, and it just <sighs> hits you in the feels. And 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 there's much more there's much more of that in the book. Check out the book for more. So it's 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 fun.
1: Yeah, I love so much having that moment with them, in particular, because their story arc runs through the entire series, really, because they meet for the first time in American Dreamer when Nesto hires them. And to have them wrap up here at Christmas was so just—it hits you right in the feels. You're so right about that.
3: It does, and it's a perfect culmination of all of the stories as they were woven together. Because you're right; they they do meet in the very first book, and and they're working for Nesto, and it just all of the characters with Nesto and Camilo and Juan Pablo and Patrice and everyone, and it it, it feels like I was sad to complete the book at the end because I I felt like I was now moving away from this. Extended family that I've come to know and love. So I I think that's generally speaking for most series. I think you can, in terms of most narrators, when we narrate, but this one in particular because there's such genuine, real people with Mm -hmm. that human experience that you just can't, you you don't always find it in many books. So it was it was a joy, a a total joy.
1: So very true. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I'm gonna go over now to to Kurt.
2: Hi. Hi, I would like to not follow Sean Crisden, please. <laughs> oh.
1: Sorry, but you know, this is how the random draw worked itself out.
3: <laughs> I'm, just the, I'm just the opening act. So I got him warmed up. Now you hit it home, champ. Come on, slugger.
1: And now you've got his blessing uh, you know, too. Actually,
2: to, have, to have Sean Christen, uh, uh cheering you on, that actually does help. That makes me feel good. <laughs>
1: So what are you reading for us tonight?
2: So earlier this year, I narrated the Gay Holiday Romance Collection from Kira Andrews. So these are four steamy holiday stories that were compiled into an anthology, and I narrated them for Tantor earlier this year. And so there is Eight Nights in December, In Case of Emergency, and Where the Love Light Gleams. Uh, And also the story I'll be reading a little bit from tonight, Santa Daddy.
1: Excellent. Do you have any setup to do to get us into it?
2: No, this is actually the setup for the book. And the reason I picked it is because this story jumps right into what it's about. So there's really no need to to explain further.
1: Perfect. We'll let you take it away then.
2: All right. Mall Santas weren't supposed to be hot. Heart thudding from his run through town, Hunter stopped short inside the storage room, the back door to the parking lot slamming shut behind him with a gust of frigid air. He blinked at the vision standing in front of him like a mirage amid the stacks of dusty boxes and crates. Was he still asleep? Was this a fever dream? Because mall Santas were supposed to be old and kind of short and schlubby. It was the law of the universe or something. Yet this Santa, probably mid-40s and wearing shiny black boots, red velvet pants with fuzzy white cuffs, and a matching red velvet coat hanging open, a lumberjack photo shoot, or one of those fireman calendars Hunter's mom got every year that he used to secretly jerk off to as a teenager. A white tank top stretched over Santa's broad, muscular chest, dark hair peeking out the top of the cotton, his nipples hard and skin a warm olive. His short hair and full trimmed beard were way more pepper than salt, but the scattered silver highlights were crazy sexy. He had to be at least 6'2 and towered over Hunter, arching a dark eyebrow. Please ask if I've been naughty or nice. About time. Hunter blinked at him, his porno fantasy evaporating as he tried to catch his breath. Huh? You're late, Santa accused gruffly. Oh, right. A burst of anxiety froze out the sizzle of lust that had warmed Hunter's veins. I know, sorry. He panted softly, pulling off his wool hat. His hair fell over his forehead, and he pushed a strand out of his eye. I overslept, Santa stared at him as if he was profoundly stupid and or pathetic. It's almost noon. What are you, my father? Hunter squirmed with embarrassment. He despised being late, but he couldn't turn back time now and erase the last twenty minutes. He hadn't intended to stay up until almost four playing God of War, and then he'd set his alarm for ten p.m. instead of a.m. because he was a tool. He knew this. He didn't need inappropriately hot Santa to remind him. Mall Santas were supposed to be jolly and kind, not judgy assholes. He rolled his eyes. Whatever. You're not my boss. Also, where's Mr. Tremblay? Broke his hip. Oh, shit, that sucks. Old Mr. Tremblay had been Pinevale's mall Santa for as long as Hunter could remember. Um i'm hunter hunter adams a couple hours north of toronto pinevale wasn't so small that he knew everyone in town but hunter definitely would have remembered seeing this guy around where on earth had john found him i'm mr Speeny. a first name was apparently unforthcoming who did this guy think he was hunter was 23 not some kid Before Hunter could say as much, John Singh bustled in through the mall entrance beyond the boxes, pushing wire-rimmed glasses up his nose and wearing an incredibly ugly reindeer sweater with fuzzy antlers. In his fifties, he and his husband Desmond lived a few blocks from Hunter's mom. He was short, stout, and always in a hurry, but usually smiling. Not now, though. Hunter, finally! I know, I know, sorry! Hunter's face went hot as he shrugged off his backpack and pulled out the ridiculous candy cane tights. Keeping his head down, he unlaced his boots and stripped off his jeans, goosebumps spreading over his skin in the chill of the storage room, the floor freezing. As he tugged the tights over his boxer briefs, he looked up and met Santa's gaze, which swept down Hunter's body. What? Hunter shoved his socked feet into the two tight black slippers with toes curved inward and golden bells on the ends. He muttered, I look lame, I know. Not all of us can look unfairly hot in these costumes. Santa said nothing as John handed him the padded belly, long white beard, and red velvet hat with white trim. Final touches. Hunter buttoned the green velvet jacket that barely covered his ass and junk, fluffy white cuffs landing two inches above his wrists the seams were snug around his shoulders and he couldn't really lift his arms the last time he played elf was his senior year of high school and he hadn't realized how much he'd grown in five years he'd been a late bloomer although usually he still felt like that pimply bony kid and so uh, i think you can figure out where it goes from there
1: No, I can't imagine at all.
2: (laughs) No, 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 no. Inappropriately tight costumes, hot Santas. Shouldn't all Santas be
1: hot though, really? I mean.
2: Wouldn't it be like the moms would appreciate it and the dads.
1: (laughs) I'm so glad you picked a Kira book because I mean, we love Kira on the show. Kira right now, you know, is that was the November book club pick for the Christmas deal She writes really good Christmas on top of really good romance.
2: Yeah. Yeah. These four stories were really diverse, very different takes and tones, and it was a lot of fun to get to tackle them all at once.
1: Very cool. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. Nick, hello. Hey, hello. So happy to have you here. Looking forward to everybody. Can know that we're going to be doing an interview with you that'll be along in January. So we'll get to get your your entire narrator backstory on the show finally.
4: <laughs> I'll lay it all down. <laughs> so what have you got
1: for us to read?
4: I chose Rebound Remedy by Christine Debo. I did it in 2015 with Riptide Publishing, and I chose it because, well, a, it's a Christmas book, but b. The opening really sticks with you, at least it did for me. And that's what I'll be reading from right at the beginning. Excellent. Um, So you probably don't have a setup, so (laughs) I'll just turn this over to you so you can get to it. Yeah, it really sets itself up here. So The holidays were Cole Todd's favorite time of year. Everything from the smell of homemade cinnamon rolls cooking to the sound of kids singing off key carols at the mall for passersby. It was the time of year when he could believe in magic and wonder, when he knew good things could happen, and for once, he was going to be the one in charge of making sure the holidays charmed the right person. This year, he'd had something amazing planned, something he'd been looking forward to for over a month now, a trip for him and Stephen to a ski resort in Banff. Everything had been prearranged. A quiet dinner for two, ready to go in their room upon their arrival. Two tickets to the jazz room and a chance to see Diana Krall perform a holiday tribute. Exclusive use of the private outdoor hot tub with the hope that it would lead to sex in the massive king-sized bed. Yes, he had worked out everything. Scrutinized each detail, ensuring it was perfect. Ensuring nothing could possibly cause them any problems. He'd accounted for everything everything except this. I know things haven't been great between us for a while, but I can't let you go. I need you. I love you more than anything else in the world. Those words would have made his heart sing if they were the climax of a movie or a romance novel. They were spoken with passion and longing that would melt the coldest of hearts. Hell, they would have him dancing in the airport right now if they'd been directed at him but they weren't. He was listening to another man, a man he'd never met before, say them to Stephen, his boyfriend of six months. Oh, he'd recognized Adam Seltzer from the various pictures of him on Stephen's computer. Adam had broken Stephen's heart when he'd left Toronto for a job in Vancouver. Cole had been there to pick up the pieces. Sure, he'd had doubts that Stephen was ready to move on, He'd feared their relationship was the traditional rebound romance, and he was the one who'd get hurt in the end. But everything had simply clicked. They'd gotten on so well, so perfectly, that he couldn't help but hope that this time, for once, he'd be on the winning end of things. Apparently not. He watched as Adam dropped to his knees in the busy check-in area of the airport, watched as Stephen reached out and cupped his former lover's face to stare longingly into his eyes. Stephen, I quit my job. I've talked to my old boss, and they're willing to take me back. Everything is set for me to move back here, to be with you. All I need is a yes from you. I've hurt you. If you've moved on... If you don't love me any longer, then I'll understand. I'll find a way to push you from my thoughts. No, baby, I... Stephen's voice cracked and tears filled his eyes. I still love you. I always have. I probably always will. Then he leaned in and kissed Adam. It was the most passionate kiss Cole had ever witnessed. Stephen had certainly never... This wasn't going to end well. Not for him at any rate. When they finally pulled apart, the small crowd that had gathered around them applauded. Cole didn't know what everyone thought they'd witnessed. It wasn't an engagement or anything. I brought this. I'd hoped... Adam reached into his back pocket and pulled out a ring box. Oh, come on! Stephen Mitchell Cebulski... Would you do me the honor of being my husband? Cole wasn't sure, but he might have groaned. Loudly. Fuck, he'd lost Stephen. Though, from the sound of things, he apparently never had him in the first place. His stomach churned as Stephen pulled Adam to his feet and kissed him passionately one more time before embracing him. It was only then that Adam locked gazes with Cole. The other man at least looked embarrassed, though Cole had no doubt it had more to do with Cole being forgotten than the outcome of the scene. Adam whispered something into Stephen's ear. Oh, shit. Stephen turned around and looked at Cole. He'd clearly been so caught up in the situation that he'd forgotten about him. Cole! There were many ways he could handle this. He could lose his temper. He could cry and whine. He could hand over the tickets and encourage them to go on the trip. It would be a romantic gesture. That's what would have happened in the movies. He held his ticket a little tighter in his hand. So I take it our plans have changed. I'm so sorry. Stephen left Adam's side and came a few steps closer. There was no way I could have known this would happen. I know. I didn't plan for him to come back into my life, I thought he was gone for good that he didn't want me anymore. I know. If there is anything I can do to... Cole held up his hands, his eyes squeezing shut. He'd been hurt far too many times to be overly gracious. Stop, please. You had plans. Adam's voice made him open his eyes once more. You were taking him on a trip? Steve, your parents didn't mention... Yes. He swallowed down his anger. Can you get your money back? Steven reached back and took Adam's hand. Or can we take the tickets and I'll pay? I'll get a refund. Don't worry about it. At least he hoped he could. He wanted to say something else, but his throat tightened, blocking the way. With each second ticking past, his emotions threatened to tear him apart from the inside out. He had to run. Get the hell out of here before everything exploded. Just. Sorry, I need to get out of here. Cole, wait! He yanked his suitcase behind him, ignoring Adams. Let him go. I'm going to take you away. He'll be fine. Would he? He'd been dumped before and survived. Well, not at an airport on his way to a romantic vacation a few weeks before Christmas. This was actually the third time he'd been left for another man. Did he pick guys who were on the rebound on purpose, or was it simply bad luck? maybe a bit of both. His family wouldn't tease him, but from the beginning, none of them had been big fans of Stephen. He hoped his mother and sister would at least wait a week before they started saying, I told you so. The December air was sharp and bit into his skin as he made his way to the park and go. He wasn't a big fan of the cold, despite living in Toronto, but for once it felt good to be out in it. The wind blew away his anger and numbed his emotions so he could catch his breath. His feet crunched against a thin layer of the snow that had been falling steadily since they'd arrived. He'd been concerned that the snow would delay their flight and they'd spend a long time in the lounge, that they'd lose out on a day of their vacation. Oh, if only things had been that simple. The car door creaked as he pulled it open. He should have put his suitcase in the trunk, but that was more effort than he was able to make. Instead, he threw it into the passenger' spot, the place where Steven had sat not 30 minutes earlier, excited to head out for their trip and chatting nonstop about wanting to try snowboarding. He was alone, cold, and wanting a drink. This was like being trapped on the wrong side of a romantic comedy. Holy shit, he was the dude no one remembered at the end of the movie. He was the leftover, the drip no one rooted for at any point in the book, the putz, the loser. Damn it. He slammed the door shut and turned the car on. The windshield had already frosted, lines of crystals covering the inside glass in long thatched marks. The frost meant another delay while the car heated up gripping the steering wheel, he fixed his gaze on the frost, watching as it ran away from the heat that blasted from the vents. Fuck! He slammed his hands against the wheel, the force of the impact elevated by the cold material against his bare hands. Why did this shit keep happening to him? He should have known things weren't exactly right between them, that what they had wasn't long-term relationship material. Stephen had always willingly followed him in his choices, but never seemed all that committed, like he was simply passing time. There was something about Cole that kept others away. He was smart, good at his job, generous with his time and money. What more could someone want? Maybe I'm broken. His breath rolled from his lips, chasing the words into the dark night. The cold dampened his anger, bringing it down to little more than a wisp. By the time the window was clear enough for him to drive, he had relaxed. There wasn't anything he could do about the situation. Stephen loved Adam, which was obvious to anyone with eyes in their head. Cole couldn't very well get upset, chase after Stephen, or even demand compensation for the lost vacation. He might be many things, but he refused to become a villain, not even at the cost of his happiness. The highway wasn't overly busy, And it didn't take long for him to make the drive back into the city. Even the traffic in Toronto itself seemed to take pity on him, easing his journey home. He pulled into his parking spot for the condo building, turned the car off, but didn't get out immediately. The thought of going into his place, totally devoid of holiday decorations because he hadn't been planning on being here for the holidays, made him ill. What he wanted was a drink, maybe more than one. Leaving his stuff in the car, he got out and made his way down the street to his favorite bar. It was after eleven, which meant McGregor's would be packed. He'd be able to find a spot at the bar, have a beer, and lose himself in the surrounding noises. It would be enough to shake away the pain. At least for a while. THE END
1: Well, that was a, a book that I'm not familiar with, and actually an author that'll be is new to me also, but as soon as we're done here, I'm off to Audible to get that book because you sold me a hundred percent on that.
3: That oh, was wonderful. You.
4: Yeah, I, I just love that one. It's because you know every character has highs and lows in a book, but that is quite a low to start out uh, a main character at. So it
1: is to be the one who you know is left behind in the rom com. That's just like I went all as I was sitting here yeah, watching poor guy. <laughs> I wonder what happened in
4: Banff. Come on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Nick, thank you for that. And now I come to Joel. Hi, Joel. Hello. Now, you Hello, have something special and different for us. Tell us what you've selected um, to give us.
5: Uh, I mean, this is vaguely hol- vaguely holiday-themed? Vaguely, a little tangential. Maybe it's a little obscure. Not many people will know it. <laughs> but it is, interestingly... Twofold the reasons uh, the reason I'm an audiobook narrator first of all it's the first audiobook I ever bought and it's what made me fall in love with the genre as a listener and then when we were owning a theatre company I used to do this as a sort of a one-night little special thing for our uh, our season subscribers I've never done it in this kind of more intimate audiobook type format so it's gonna be interesting but I'm thrilled And have a chance to remotely Christmas themed, but it doesn't need a setup because I'm starting from the beginning. All right, well take it away. Marley was dead. To begin with, there is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner, Scrooge, signed it. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. Scrooge knew he was dead. Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, sole sole mourner and sole friend, And even Scrooge wasn't that cut up by the sad event. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name, however. There it stood, years afterward, above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. The firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge Scrooge, and sometimes Marley. He answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone was Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutched, clutching, covetous old sinner, secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill him. Nobody ever stopped him in the streets to say with gladsome looks, My dear, how are you? When will you come to see me? No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle, Not him what it was a clock, No man or woman ever once in all his life inquired the way to such and such a place of Scrooge. Even the blind men's dogs appeared to know him, and when they saw him coming on, would tug their owners into doorways and up courts, as if to say, no eye at all is better than an evil eye, dear master. But what did Scrooge care? It was the very thing he liked to edge his way along the crowded paths of life warning all of human sympathy to keep its distance once upon a time of all good days in the year upon a christmas eve old scrooge sat busy in his counting house it was cold bleak biting foggy weather and the city clocks had only just gone three but it was quite dark already. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open, that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, who, in a dismal little cell beyond a sort of tank, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal, but he couldn't replenish it. For Scrooge kept the coal-box in his own room, and so surely as the clerk came in with the shovel, the master predicted that it would be necessary for them to part. Wherefore, the clerk put on his white comforter and tried to warm himself at the candle, in which effort, not being a man of strong imagination, he failed. A merry Christmas, uncle! God save you! cried a cheerful voice. It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew, who came upon him so quickly that this was the first intimation Scrooge had of his approach. Pah! said Scrooge. Humbug! Christmas! A humbug, uncle? You don't mean that, I am sure. I do. Merry Christmas! What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry, you're poor enough? Oh, come then. What reason have you to be dismal? You're rich enough. Scrooge, having no better answer ready on the spur of the moment, said, Pah! Humbug! Don't be cross, uncle, said the nephew. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money, a time for finding yourself a year older but not an hour richer? If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Uncle Neville, keep Christmas in your own way. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone then. Much good may it do you. Much good has it ever done you. Well, there are many things from which i might have derived good by which i have not profited i dare say a christmas among the rest but i am sure i have always thought of christmas time i'm around a kind a forgiving charitable pleasant time the only time i know of when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely, and therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe it has done me good and will do me good, and I... The clerk, in the tank, involuntarily applauded. Let me hear another sound from you, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. You're quite a powerful speaker, nephew. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Don't be angry, uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. I'll see you in hell first. But why? I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why cannot we be friends? Good afternoon. I'm sorry, with all my heart, to find you so resolute. But I'll keep my Christmas humour to the last. So a Merry Christmas, uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon. The nephew left the room but stopped at the outer door to bestow the greeting of the season on the clerk, who, cold as he was, was warmer than Scrooge, for he returned them cordially. There's another fellow, my clerk, with fifteen shillings a week and a wife and family, talking about a merry Christmas. I'll retire to Bedlam. The clerk, In letting Scrooge's nephew out, had let two other people in. They were portly gentlemen, pleasant to behold, and now stood with their hats off in Scrooge's office. They had books and papers in their hands and bowed to him. "'Scrooge and Marley's, I believe,' said one of the gentlemen, referring to his list. "'Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley?' "'Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years. "'He died seven years ago this very night. "'I trust the liberality of his generosity "'is well represented by his surviving partner.' "'At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge,' "'said the gentleman, taking up a pen.' It is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute, who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. Are there no prisons? plenty of prisons, but under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body to the unoffending multitude, a few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat, drink, and a means of warmth. We choose this time because it is a time of all others when want is keenly felt, and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for?' Nothing. You wish to remain anonymous. I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help support the prisons and the workhouses. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Meanwhile, the fog and darkness thickened. The owner of one scant young nose gnawed and mumbled by the hungry cold as bones are gnawed by dogs, stooped down at Scrooge's keyhole to regale him with a Christmas carol. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you do. Scrooge seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror, leaving the keyhole to the fog and even more congenial frost. At the le- at length, the hour of the house arrived, with an ill will. Scrooge, dismounting from his stool, tacitly admitted the fact to the expectant clerk in the tank, who instantly snuffed his candle out and put on his hat. "'You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose, if it is uh, quite convenient, sir. It is not convenient, and it is not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself mightily ill-used I'll be bound.' Yes, sir, and yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. It's only once a year, sir, a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December, but I suppose you must have the whole day, be here all the earlier the next morning. The clerk promised that he would, and Scrooge buttoned his greatcoat and walked out, with a growl. The end or the beginning rather. Wonderful. So how did it feel
1: performing that in the tiny booth instead of having a stage to work with?
5: You know, it's actually, it's it's, it's actually lovely because I'm still kind of, I still felt myself pushing a bit, but, but if I was to record it, I think I, you know, you can actually pull out so much more nuance and so much more truth in the words than trying to push it across to an audience so anyway thank you for the chance it was lovely to revisit it
1: that was a a very traditional way to to round out the to round out the storytelling bringing everybody back thank you all again one question for all of you is all of you have done christmas stories you know in your in your narrating canon now is there a favorite element you like to see in a holiday story? Whether it's you know a certain scene happening or a kind of date happening or even a holiday trope that you like a whole bunch? I'll go to Kurt first.
2: You know, so this is another one of those things where, like, just not really being a super Christmassy person, I I Your thought name about this because you,
5: Mister Graves.
2: Yeah, I. So it's it's. It may seem strange to say, it, but, like, the Scrooge trope is actually one of my favorite. Like, I'd like to believe that maybe someday my heart, too, will be warmed in such a way that I'll learn to appreciate the holiday. So of all the holiday
1: specials that are out there, does that mean you watch The Grinch the most? Because it's close to Scrooge. I I don't watch any holiday specials. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we got to work on Kurt I a little know. bit here. I know. I know.
5: Stunk.
3: <laughs> Stunk.
5: <laughs>
1: oh, my goodness. What about you, Sean?
3: Oh, I... Boy, I... now that I'm going to follow up with that. Fair, I because Kurt followed your the... reading, so
1: you now get to follow his That's answer. True.
3: <laughs> Turn about his fair play, my good man. Yes, mm-hmm. I-, I think it's actually when it's a, a sort of a clash of cultures in some of some of the stories where it's someone who and it doesn't mean that they don't necessarily celebrate celebrate Christmas maybe it's another type of holiday or maybe they have a different traditional celebration within their family or whatever uh, social structure they surrounded themselves with before we see our our two lovebirds come together so i think it's often the i'm often fascinated by different cultures And when that gets thrust upon us in a book that's a Christmas tale and uh, maybe someone I celebrated with my aunt and I was alone and cold in the dark and all I had was a single candle. You know, this this sort of thing where we're, we're seeing all of the different portrayals of the the varying types of holiday cheer. Or lack thereof, Mister Graves, and trying to to sort of juxtapose it all together. I, I I think that's usually what I like to see the most, and to see how it all kinds of shakes out in the wash. So that that's sort of I like seeing the this cruel human experiment, I guess, and seeing how that works.
4: Nick, I don't know if I could pick one because I don't know the, the Christmas books I've done have been. So different from one another. I did one where a person was trapped in a uh, life-size winter globe called Winter Oranges. So you know, it's, it's pretty diverse in my catalog.
1: <laughs> nice.
4: Trapped in the in
1: a, in a winter globe sounds difficult and magical at the same time.
5: <laughs> one of the most unique books I've ever read,
1: for sure. <laughs> and Joel, how about you?
5: I like I like the found family you know the the tribe of friends sort of thanksgiving dinner gathering type thing i like that largely because thanksgiving means nothing to me because i grew up in a british colony mm-hmm. and and it's it's one of these things where it, it fa- you know americans panic about you not having thanksgiving plans like they they, they 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 feel it's like some sort of you know like you've been thrown into Guantanamo Bay or something if you don't like have plans to eat on Thanksgiving <laughs> and now that I'm married and have a family that's American you know it, it's fine but but it used to be this whole big deal but food I like I, I wish I I wish I had enough money to have like a chef that like when foods that sound good in books that I'm reading come up I can be like "Ooh, make mm-hmm. that like Amy, Amy Nicole Walker has this mm-hmm. like this apple pie that she's just obsessed about that she talks about in like every book and i'm like i really want to try that pie so so yeah food i i like i like reading about food
2: yeah and boxing say, day I mean,
5: there need to be more boxing day books because boxing yeah. day is the greatest holiday ever that americans just are missing out on
1: we should sort of trend towards boxing day in the u.s we should yeah And of course, Sean, with food, I immediately think of Adriana's series because I can't read one of those dreamer books without like Mm. wanting to eat everything that she writes about. She should do a cookbook specific for that series.
3: Absolutely. grown up on the East Coast and spending plenty of time in the boroughs. Uh, I I think one of the first times I talked about that book, the first thing I said was, don't read it hungry. Because, (laughs) and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a foodie and I love eating. I should be four times the size, but that book and the, oh boy, oh boy. Yes. So yes. And I'm a big apple pie fan. So yeah. Yeah.
5: How can you not have a national holiday to recover from Christmas? It's madness. (laughs) Right?
1: After everything you've gone through in the holiday season, you need
5: that day. Yeah.
2: Joel, I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes things in America don't make sense.
3: (laughs) Wait, you mean Boxing Day isn't a day we just get to punch each other?
1: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, I think with that, we will wrap everything up. Thank you so much, Sean, Kurt, Nick, Joel, for sharing your talent with us this evening. It's been truly wonderful. If you're interested in learning more about the books we've talked about
0: or the selections the narrators have read from, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 276 at biggayfictionpodcast.com. Thanks again to
1: Sean, Kurt, Nick, and Joel for sharing their talents with us this holiday season. I do want to mention that if you liked Joel's performance of A Christmas Carol, that little snippet that he did, you can actually see him now performing the entire book. He did this as a live performance from his booth just last week. You can catch the replay on YouTube and we will have that link in the show notes. We do want to call out too that he did this performance as a benefit for the Alley Forney Center, which is the largest agency in the country that is dedicated to protecting LGBTQIA plus youths from the harms of homelessness and empowering them with the tools that they need to be able to live independently. It's a wonderful organization. I actually volunteered for them for a couple of years when we were living in New York. It's so exciting that as of midday on Friday, Joel had raised over $2,000 from his performance. That is going to be available on YouTube through the end of the year. It is truly wonderful. So we hope you'll check that out. And if you can, make a donation to this wonderful
0: organization. All right. I think that'll do it for this week. Coming up next in episode 277, which will be dropping into your podcast feed this Thursday, we've got the December Big Gay Fiction Book Club pick. We're going to be shining the spotlight on Suzanne Brockman's All Through the
1: Night. This is an absolutely wonderful book, a perfect book to have as our Christmas selection because you've got a gay wedding happening right through the Christmas season. It's so wonderful and magical. So we hope you'll join us for that on Christmas Eve. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Until next time, please stay strong, be safe, and above all else, keep turning those
1: pages and keep reading. Big A Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. If you'd like to find some more shows that we know you'll love, go to frolic.media slash podcasts. Our original theme music is composed by Daryl Banner.